I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's guest started racing triathlons in college for fun and quickly became nationally ranked. Just two years later, while still in college, Alyssa Seeley got a life-altering diagnosis. It would lead to brain and spine surgery and eventually a leg amputation. But this girl will not be stopped. Just months after major brain and spine surgery, she finished an NCAA triathlon. And three months after her amputation, she was already running 5Ks. Alyssa is now a three-time paratriathlon world champion and a gold medalist at the 2016 Paralympic Games. We dive deep into Alyssa's story today as she takes us from the beginning of her diagnosis all the way through to her challenges on her journey toward Tokyo 2021. But what you'll discover is that challenges only make Alyssa Seeley stronger. So buckle up for a very inspiring episode. But before we get into this conversation, please take a minute to subscribe and give us a five-star review. It means so much to me personally, but it also enables us to keep bringing on these absolutely awe-inspiring guests. And as my gift to you for listening today, I have a freebie that contains five smart strategies for confidence. To snag it, just go on over to laurawilkinson.com slash learn. All right, I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. Alyssa Seeley, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm so excited you're finally here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Okay, well, before we get really into this, I have to ask you a couple of things that I found while, you know, internet stalking you, of course, for this episode. I I saw that, you know, you spell your name a little bit differently, Alyssa, but it's A-L-L-Y-S-A. So, you know, it's totally common these days to be unique. All my kids have unique names. But what I read was that your unique spelling wasn't intentional. Is that right? No, it wasn't. So when I was born, my mom, you know, was taking care of me in the hospital and had my dad fill out the birth certificate. And obviously they had agreed on the name, but I guess they never discussed spelling and my dad didn't know how to spell Alyssa. So that's what he, that's how he spelled it. And I've never met another Alyssa with the same spelling. Oh, I love it. I love Was your mom mad when she found out or was she like, well, all right. <laughs> She was like, you spelt it wrong. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He's never been the greatest speller. (laughs) That's so awesome. Well, I also read that your biggest talent outside of sport is creating DIY projects, which I absolutely love too. So will you tell us some of your like cool DIY projects that you've done or you enjoy doing? Yes. Okay. So I love, I like absolutely love figuring things out on my own and doing it myself. So, um, when I moved to Colorado three years ago, um, house I got was quite the fixer upper. Um, and so I ripped out carpets, like sanded and refinished floors. Um, I redid the bath, did redid the bathroom and added some like wainscoting and like floorboards and in the kitchen, uh, moved around kitchen cabinets and hung different pots and pans rack. And my latest project that finally got finished this summer was, uh, I was redoing both the front and the backyard. And so I finally got the backyard finished unfortunately not in time to plant my garden, but next year it's going to be an amazing vegetable and fruit garden. So, Oh my gosh, that's so cool. You could be on one of those fixer upper shows or something, huh? <laughs> you know, I, uh, <laughs> uh, with, with some of the downtime, I've been watching some of those uh, HGTV shows. I just think it's so much fun to be able, you know, when people come over and they're like, Oh, I love this to be like, yeah, I did that myself. Like, I, I know there's a, a cool pride there, right? It, it is. Yeah. And so, um, 
most everything I learn is off of YouTube when I don't know how to do something. I just YouTube it and figure nice. it out. You just figure it out. I love that. Well, I need to have you over and help me with some projects. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Would so love cool. to. Oh, fun. Well, okay. I, we, I love hearing about how our guests got into sport, you know, from the beginning. So how did you get involved into triathlon? Because you found it in college, right? Which is kind of, is that a little late? Yeah. So I got into the sport in college and it's kind of weird the way I got into it. So I have, you know, always been a runner. It's like my heart and soul is running. And in college I was, it just got a little, I was starting to get burnt out running, you know, six days a week, sometimes two times a day. And I just really was like losing my passion for like being competitive and the drive. And so I wanted to try something new and I heard, had heard a little bit about triathlon and um, it was perfect timing because I don't do new year's resolutions, but every year I try to do something or learn something I don't know about or have never done before. And so I was like, I'm going to do a triathlon this year. Like that's, that's going to be my new thing, my new challenge. And so it just happened that like two weeks later, I get a postcard in the mail from a charity group that if you raise money for, you know, you raise money and then they train you for a triathlon and like, you know, hope to get you all set up with all, everything you need to compete in a triathlon. And oh, that's cool. so I was like, perfect timing. Like, and I signed up that day and that's, so that's how I got my start in the sport. And I really just fell in love with the challenge and the camaraderie and the exhilaration of the sport. And so I haven't left yet. Oh, that's so cool. Like, did you compete for the college or were you just competing in like a club during college? So when I was in college, it was not NCAA yet. So um, we just competed. I competed for the college, but through USA Triathlon's like organized collegiate program. But now triathlon is NCAA sport for women, which is really exciting. Oh, that's awesome. When Do you know what year that happened? They started. It's pretty new. I think it's been three years. So they are just about to get like their, you know, they have the test period for NCAA sports, but they're just about to get the full-fledged status coming up probably in the next year or so. Oh, that's so exciting. But there's, yeah, quite a few colleges who've signed on all around the country. So it's exciting to see, it'll be exciting to see how it helps helps grow the sport. Oh, for sure. Well, and you got pretty good pretty quick, right? Like you were nationally ranked. Yeah. So the first race I did, I won what's called my age group and finished and that's kind of how it started. And then from there, you know, just training the college team and became more and more competitive and was able to keep going, which has been nice. That's so good. What was the hardest for you? Because you, you said you were a runner. Was it hard for you to adapt biking or swimming or did they all come pretty natural? So the swim, I mean, growing up in Arizona, everybody swims. And I had done like, you know, swim team and stuff when I was a kid, but I don't really like swam distance in a while, but it came pretty, you know, it came back pretty naturally. And I didn't have any fear of the open water. So I was just like, all right, let's go. But I hadn't rode a bike probably since like the fifth grade. I mean, oh wow. <laughs> so the bike has definitely been the lasting challenge for me. I always say I have a love-hate relationship with it. Some days we get along great. And other days I just swam through it in trash can and never look back. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it has definitely been my biggest challenge. Um, I, I'm built like a runner. And so building those muscles for cycling and the power for cycling has has kept me very busy to trying to keep up. Now oh, that's that's so interesting. I like hearing how the the journey evolves. So what happened? I mean, right in the middle of college, you get this kind of life-changing diagnosis. Like what symptoms led you to that discovery? Not too long after I started triathlon, I started having a lot of uh, neurological symptoms. And at first they were pretty mild. They interrupted work and school, but they, you know, they weren't like life-threatening at the time. And it really just started with headaches and dizziness and some passing out. And, you know, I had got, went to the doctor and um, being a young college student, you know, the first response is, 
you're doing too much, you're stressed out, your body's reacting to that, you need to like, just take some time off. And so, you know, my mom was like, you should really listen. So I did, I cut back my training, I cut back my hours at work, and things really didn't get better. They started getting worse. Um, I had numbness and tingling in my arms and legs. And my feet and my legs started becoming spastic, which is when your muscles tighten without you wanting them to. So my knees and feet started turning in and becoming pigeon toed. And through that time, I continued to see doctors and didn't have a diagnosis. It took about just under two years to finally get a correct diagnosis. And I was diagnosed with a congenital brain malformation called Chiari 2 malformation. And in layman's term, the back part of my brain, the cerebellum, is not actually in my um, in my skull. It's herniated into my spinal column. And so wow. it was you know, compressing and causing a lot of pressure on that area of the brain, which was causing a lot of my symptoms. So the outward symptoms that you could see and also internal symptoms, your cerebellum's in charge of all of your autonomic functions. And so heart rate and breathing, digestion, pretty much everything you don't think of. And so that has also affected all of those areas in my body as well. Wow. I, I mean, does that happen overnight like that? Or is this something that's been there forever? Or do they even know? So I was born with it. Um, it is congenital. It's typically found, from what I told, it's typically found on an ultrasound when you're in utero or very early in life. So the fact I made it to 19 years old before being diagnosed is pretty uncommon. But a lot of the symptoms I had as a child were just normal to me because that's how I grew up. I never knew any different. I didn't know other people didn't experience life like I did. It wasn't until I was older that I was like, oh, wait, that's not how the world works for you. Oh, interesting. Um, so that part I've been told is pretty rare, but it's an ongoing challenge. Um, even I had surgery for it in 2010, which um, helps to relieve some of the pressure, but the damage, you know, is already done. And so that's something that I work and manage every day so I can keep being an athlete. So how did you initially react to, to getting a diagnosis like that? At the time, honestly, it was relief. And that probably sounds really weird to people being diagnosed with a, you know, brain malformation, but it had been almost two years. And those two years were hands down some of the hardest times of my life. Um, I was in and out of the hospital. I was seeing doctors all the time. And, you know, I was, I was really, really sick at times. And um, at one point I was told that I'd be lucky if I made it to October and that was in August. Oh my goodness. So when I got the diagnosis, it finally had a name, like it finally had something that we could like try to treat or stop the progression of. And so that was kind of relief to finally have what, what it was called. Right. And like, hopefully, yeah, something that you can do to that. And, and yeah. So how, how was that surgery? I mean, that's kind of massive. And you you had to kind of relearn how to walk at that point too, didn't you? Yeah. So, um, going into surgery, I knew the risks and I knew that no matter what happened, my life was going to change that day and it was going to change for the better, for the worse, or, you know, it was possible that it could end my life. But I made a promise to myself as I was wheeled back to the OR that no matter what happened that day, I was going to start living again because for the prior year, I felt like I wasn't really living. I was just trying to survive and trying to get through. And I lost a lot of my, you know, happiness and joy and because there was so much being limited by my medical condition. And so I definitely was nervous going into a little nervous, but also excited to hopefully put an end to the symptoms and go from there. But yes, after surgery, I came out of surgery and there was a lot that I had to learn how relearn um, and walking is one of them. Wow. And how long did that take you? It, it was a challenge on and off for sure. And I think I was in rehab for about nine months at the time. 
Oh, wow. But you, you started racing not too long after that, didn't you? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> how? <laughs> so I love this. This is so crazy and awesome. Well, most people say you have to walk before you run and <laughs> not you, right? <laughs> as soon as I started walking, I, I started running, um, to the chagrin of my physical therapist, but I would go home and, and when I say running, I was more like shuffling slash falling, <laughs> but you know, I would go home and I would run three steps and the next day I would try to run four or five and, you know, and it kind of led to like a lap around the track and then aiming for a mile and then back training with my team. And so, yeah, I mean, it was kind of learning and doing both at the same time. Okay. So you were studying like biology and genetics at the time too. Did you start studying that before all of this or is that what intrigued you to go into that kind of field or where? Yeah. How did, cause I had to be an interesting correlation there. No, so completely coincidental. Um, I really, really love science and of science, I'm really interested in genetics and how gen- how genetics play a role in not only development, but the, d- the disease process, the development of d- disease process as well. And so that was something I was already studying in school. I, you know, I had, when I was young, I had decided I wanted to go into science and that had never really changed into a science field like medicine. And that never really changed. So it has been, it has been interesting though. And it's been also very helpful to have that science background, you know, to be able to pull up research papers and learn about, you know, what's new and all of, all of that and how, how I can better uh, handle my medical conditions. Well, I was going to say it's, it's got to be an asset there that you can actually be very well informed of your situation and with questions to ask the doctors. And, and yeah, like you said, understanding the research and what's going on and what's what the potential is. And that's that's got to be a good thing and not 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 more make you more fearful. But I would think in a way to make it more helpful. Yeah. You know, doctors have tons of patients. And I think being able to be a very strong advocate with a higher a higher level understanding of my conditions and, you know, my diagnoses has really been helpful because I can take, you know, I can take things to doctors and be like, you know, this is something that's been tried or there's a new case study here. Is it like, can we discuss it? Is there, you know, is there anything valid in here that might help me? Um, And so I think that has been a huge asset and has allowed me to kind of manage, better manage all of my conditions than I could when I first start, you know, when I first got the diagnosis back in 2010. Yeah, I would imagine. Do do the doctors feel more comfortable speaking with you about that too, since you are so well-informed? It's always interesting when I have like a new doctor. Um, I just met with new, a few new doctors and um, one of them was like, do you have an understanding of like the or- this organ at all? We were talking about uh, like the digestive tract. And I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, and he, he's explaining at like a very low level. And I'm like, we can, we can gloss over all this. Let's get to the important. <laughs> um, so I think it's kind of surprising at first when I see a new doctor and they're like, wait, but after that, it's good because we're able to, discuss more from a physiological level. And I really like having that understanding as well. Oh yeah. I got, are you like at times explaining this to like your parents and things too, I'm guessing? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's not super common. So there's many times I'm explaining it to medical professionals as well. 
Oh man, that's that's so crazy. Um, well, so how do you go from you had this massive surgery? You kind of told us that you you would go home and you, you'd start running the three steps and the four, and then around the track. I love that because it it starts really with the journey of a thousand steps starts with that first step, right? And that's just very picturesque of that. Um, so how did you find the para triathlon? That that I mean, because you won the 2012 World Championships. That's just like two years after the surgery and diagnosis. How how does that all happen? Yeah, it was about. I would say eight months after um, my surgery, my um, brain and spine surgery, I was able to qualify and compete at collegiate nationals and as the first person with a disability, which was pretty cool. Oh, wow. Um, and it was there that I was introduced to paratriathlon. And at the time I was like, no, I'm good. I love training with my team. It's, this is just fun. I'm not, I'm not interested. And I didn't really know anything about parasport. I didn't, had never heard of the uh, Paralympics or like, you know, disabled sport at all, really. And so I just kind of ignored it at the time. And it was brought up again. Then one of an orthotist, uh, one of the people I work with who makes like my legs and braces and stuff had brought up that they were having a track meet in Arizona. It was like this thing. And I was like, still kind of on the fence, but I was like, all right, I'll go check it out. And so I did that and then started looking more into paratriathlon and decided to give it a go in 2012. And when I was finishing up my master's. So that's kind of how I found it. And it was kind of chaos at first, but I think the sport has really grown and, and especially in the U in the U S um, the talent and just work ethic has, is very, very high and very motivating to, to stay at the top. Was that a hard adjustment? Like was, was the racing like just totally different or was it just very much like you're doing the same things just in a different kind of category or what was the change like? That's the cool thing about triathlon is everybody races the same race with the same rules. And yeah, it's a little different because I have to, you know, I get out of the water and I have to put a leg on while other people are putting shoes on to ride their bike. So, you know, there's some small differences like that, but as a whole, we compete alongside able-bodied participants under the same rules. And, but we do have the international racing as well. So, um, where we compete separately. So, well, when you, when you first got into the paratriathlon though, this is before the amputation, right? Yes. So I came back to the sport of triathlon just after the brain and spine surgery and um, my neurological injury or the neurological condition or injury, whatever you'd like, however you want to say it, um, is what qualified me for paratriathlon at the time. And then as things progressed with that, um, I did have my left leg below the knee amputated from some of the complication, neurological complications. I mean, was that devastating to you or, or was it kind of almost the same like you know, like you were kind of relieved to to understand your diagnosis. Like, was there a relief to this or was this like a devastating? Because I imagine as much as a brain and spine surgery, you know, impacts you and, and you don't know what the result of that's going to be. I mean, losing a limb is a very big deal too. I mean, how how did you handle all that? I adjusted really quickly. I think everybody identifies themselves differently. How, you know, how we identify ourselves. And for some people, their identity is based in how they look or what they see in the mirror. But for me, especially at the time, I then, you know, and still today, my identity was based in who I was and who I was, was an active person and athlete. And again, you know, I was kind of at a point where I wasn't able to live the life that I wanted. I wasn't able to go hiking with my friends. I wasn't able to stand for my 12 hour shifts at the hospital because the pain was just too bad and in my foot and um, leg. And so after meeting with a bunch of surgeons, I probably met with close to 10 different surgeons to get opinions and see what the best option was. But after all those meetings, we did decide the best option was amputation 
to give me the life that I desired. And at the time that life wasn't an elite athlete, it wasn't a world champion. It wasn't a Paralympic gold medalist at the time. It was being able to go out and hike with my friends and take my dogs for a walk and, and try to be an athlete and do triathlon again, at, no matter at what level, even if it was just recreational, I really loved to train and just race. And, and so that was kind of where it fell. And from there, I mean, I was walking four weeks later, I was in less pain um, than I had been in a few years and within a few weeks. And, you know, I was walking four weeks later, I was running eight weeks later and it just, wow. Eight weeks later. Yeah. I like to speed things up. <laughs> uh, well, obviously <laughs> I think I'm um, getting that impression. <laughs> yeah. I ran my first 5k as an amputee in December, um, after losing my leg in August. And so, what? so from that. Yeah. I, I was just going to ask that. I mean, cause like, I mean, I get that. I, I love that the pain was less and that's great, but I would just think just the healing of that too, like just any healing of a major wound, you know, and that's like massive. Plus you're having to learn how to use a prosthetic. Like how are you doing this this quickly? Like this is kind of blowing my mind on so many levels. Like I'm not kidding. So I did get really lucky. It is not normal for people to be walking in four weeks. My leg healed really fast and it wasn't entirely healed when I started walking. There was still a scab on it, but um, my surgeon had cleared me and he was okay with it. He felt it was healed enough that it wouldn't break open. So I was really lucky in that aspect. Um, and that had nothing to, you know, there was nothing I could do to make that happen. For a lot of people, you know, it takes six, eight, 10, 12 weeks for the incision and everything to even heal. Did it not hurt? Did it not hurt to put pressure on that incision point though, even as it's still healing? When you first start wearing a prosthetic, it is definitely weird, um, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be painful. Like prosthetics should not cause pain if they fit correctly. And you actually don't put weight on the bottom of your limb. Really? The way the prosthetic is designed, it holds your weight up on like the bones at your knee. They're called condyles. And so if my leg is too big and I'm stepping on the bottom of my limb, it is very painful. It is very, very painful. And the skin breaks open. I just had this problem recently because I lost a little bit of weight and I was like, ah, um, but because you're not putting weight on it, he wasn't concerned. My surgeon wasn't concerned about the incision opening, um, with how much it had healed. And so I got pretty lucky there. And then really, you know, when I was walking the prosthetic, it was predictable when I had my foot, it was all rolled under. I was walking on like the side, um, the outside edge slash the top of my foot because we couldn't get it into any other position. And so I went from walking on the edge of my foot, which was much more challenging than walking on a full foot in a prosthetic that is predictable. I know where it is and what it's going to do. Whereas with my other foot, I didn't, it was just, was a real challenge. And so the learning to walk and run was actually easier than when I had my foot. Wow. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. And yeah, you said you ran your, your first 5K like like eight weeks later. That <laughs> um, I ran it in December. So it was about three and a half, about three months. Yeah. Still at 12 weeks. Okay. You know, <laughs> that is, wow. That is really cool. So I mean, were you just kind of at that point, like feeling free? Like I'm really going to get back into this. At that time, I was just, me and my friends ran the 5K together, you know, and we had a great time and that's what that's what I wanted. And I, you know, I still had that competitive desire in me and I was like, well, let's just see where we can go and how things go from here. And so I just went back to training for triathlon and swimming and riding and things kind of just blew up from there. 
Yeah, obviously. So, I mean, you get to the point. So in 2015 and 2016, you won back-to-back world titles, then a gold at the Rio 2016 Paralympics. I mean, was it just kind of this smooth sailing, like, I'm going to see where it goes, and then boom, you're there? <laughs> like, there there had to be some ups and downs in here. Like, tell, oh, us, tell us about this journey. Absolutely, there were ups and downs. So in triathlon, for the Paralympic Games, each country is limited to two slots. And we have three Americans that are competitive on the international stage. And going into 2015, I hadn't raced at all internationally in quite a few, in a few years. And the way our points and our qualification works is it's based off of two years of racing. And so I went in as the very underdog. Actually, at the time, there were four Americans racing. And I was the very bottom. So I got like the last pick of races you know, and I just had to hope I could get into races wherever they were around the world, because the higher you're ranked, you know, you get to pick what races you race. And I had three Americans ranked above me. So I really just kind of started racing anywhere I could to build points. And it was quite frustrating at times. Um, but also, you know, in, at the beginning of 2015, I had the chance to race with the other Americans at a few international races. And it was so entirely frustrating because I kept ending up as the third American. Uh, we were sweeping the podium everywhere we went, the three of us. And but I was third American, third American, third American, and I knew it wasn't good enough. So um, you're like, this is I cool, wanted, but right. <laughs> if I wanted to go to the games, I had to at least be the second American. So kind of all turned around in August of 2015. Every race up until August, third, 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 third. And it was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, I raced in August and my two teammates were not there. Um, I won that race, which gave me a chance to get into world championships that year, which was in Chicago. And because again, it had the two person limit per country. I had to wait for an invite essentially from the international federation, like just hoping that they would give me a chance to get on that start line. So I just waited and I knew I had to be in that race. Otherwise the games were out of the question our races are ranked point-wise and world championships is like nearly three times the amount of other, some of the other races I was doing. So it was so important. I got into that race and I did finally get an invite. And the night before the race, I met with our national team coaches and um, he was like, what, what's your goal here? And I was like, to be the second American, that is what I wanted. I wanted to be the second American. And um, it kind of got a strange response, kind of like a little chuckle slash scoff. And it was told not to, not to set my sights too high and oh but, you know third 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 and I was like no this is not happening again I'm not going to be the third person and for that race it was my first win at a world championships and it happened in not a graceful way at all <laughs> <laughs> how so I had a terrible swim um I got hit pretty early on in the swim my goggles were halfway off I had oh, no. to kind of pull those back on as I'm swimming and um I got a little you know a little disoriented getting like kicked in the face in the, you know, first 50 meters of the swim. And you're supposed to, you know, our swim course is set up with buoys. And so you have to go around the buoys. The buoys were red. And I was following somebody who had a red swim cap on, which was not the buoy. And they were not going, (laughs) they were not going the right direction. So I finally figured out my mistake and get back in and I get out of the water. And I was like, I can't even remember almost two minutes behind. The coach told me I was two minutes behind the leader. So I had two minutes to make up, you know, or something in that range to try to get to the be second. So I get on the bike and actually had a great bike day that day. And I was able to start passing people and I made my way to third again. So, (laughs) and then on the run, you know, I was just like, I had the run is who I am. And I just, 
had to give it my all. And um, I passed for second pretty early on in the race and then was able to pass again to first position with probably about a mile left to go. Um, and it was able to run down the blue carpet and grab the banner. And uh. that's actually a lie. I didn't grab a banner. They did not put the banner up because they did not expect me. They did not expect me to be in first. They um, were waiting for my teammate who was in second, thinking she was the leader at the time. So I did not grab a banner that time. Um, oh man. <laughs> but I crossed the finish line and I, right when I crossed, I, my team manager was right there and she's like, Oh my God, you won, you won. And I'm like, and I'm just like, what's going on? They didn't say I won. Like they're saying Haley is winning like, and she's still running. And I'm like, did I do something wrong? Am I disqualified? And like panicking, right? Like I finally, I finally beat my two teammates and like the announcers did not even realize what was going on. So I was like panicking. And so uh, my team manager's like, no, 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 you're good. You don't have any penalties. Like we're good. We're good. I'll, I'll make sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. How could they not know you were in the lead? That's so crazy. Anyways. So that is how I won my first world championship. And from there, that's really where things took off. I was able to keep stringing together great races all through 2016. I was undefeated all of 2016 and then 2017 into world championships where I finished second. So, um, I had a really good string of two years there and came back in 2018 for another another few year, good years. So I've been very uh, fortunate with the success I've been able to earn. So do you think that come from behind victory in 2015 just gave you a different kind of confidence that you needed like going forward? I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would say confidence, but I think it gave me like credibility into in what I was doing was working. You know, it like really solidified that the work I was putting in and the, in the coaches I was working with and the way we were doing things was working for me and I was improving, you know, whereas before that win, I was getting really frustrated because I just felt like I was so stagnant that, you know, I, I was still, no matter what I did, third, third, third. And so it kind of relieved those questions and made me realize that I need to just focus on me and not worry about what other people are doing, um, focus on my training and those that, in, and those in the team that I've built and kind of trust the process and go with it. Do you think it gave you credibility to other people like like the coach that, you know, kind of smirked at you and you told him your goals or I mean, do you think it kind of opened up other people's eyes as well? I think it absolutely did. I think not much was expected from me in 2015, actually, before before World Championships, we had a test event in Brazil. I was not on the start list because two Americans were ahead of me and my team manager encouraged me to fly down because if somebody doesn't show up, if they're sick or whatever, I could possibly get on the start list. And she's like, you really need to be there if this happens. And so I, and I told her, I was like, and the way it worked is like, if I made the start list, they would reimburse like the costs to travel to Brazil. You know, I was like, this is the last race. Like if I don't get on that start list, like I can't afford another international trip. I can't afford another race. So like, this is a big gamble. And she's like, I really think it's worth it. I really think it's worth it. And so I actually gone to California with my mom to kind of take my mind off the fact that everybody was at this test event and I wasn't going to be there. And so we had just drove to California. I think we were there, not like we got there the night before and she called me the next morning and she's like, can you get on a plane to Brazil in two days? Oh, so we drove back home, didn't really do anything in California, I drove back home, packed all my stuff and went to Brazil for the test event. And <laughs> That at the test event, they did a lot of like pre-photos for the games the following year, right? Mm -hmm. Is that they can use like on the beach. And like, so 
the only picture I was included in was the group picture that they took, you know, whereas all these other, all the other athletes that they expected to be at the games had, you know, individual pictures and headshots and okay, like what combinations might be medals. And I was in none of those. So I do think very little was expected of me. <laughs> I, think, um, I think it was kind of, especially in 2015, as we got into 2016, I think those expectations and, you know, if they were betting where their money would have fallen, probably would have been different. But I was definitely the underdog earlier on. Which is not always a bad place to be, you know. <laughs> it's when, not, you know. I've always rooted for the underdog. So. Yeah. But it kind of makes you, it gives you more reason to fight sometimes. But what, so what is that transition like going from this underdog where nobody expects anything of you besides yourself to now you are a three-time world champion, you are a Paralympic gold medalist. How, how does your perception change and how you go after things? Is it harder now? Is it different? Like what's, or are you the same? You get back up there and you're, you're exactly the same on every start line. I feel like I'm the same. I definitely, you know, I know I have a target on my back. I know I'm the person to beat. Every single person will say that, but it hasn't affected me because I learned before the success that if I focused on me and I focused on my race and my training and I kept improving every day, then that's all I need to do. And I know I can be the best if I do just that. And so that's just what I've stuck with, really. I've never really felt the pressure of it until, <laughs> until one moment in a press conference. Um, I was in Japan, which is one of my favorite places to race. We race every year in Yokohama. Oh, cool. And in the press conference, one of the um, Japanese sports reporter asks, so you have been undefeated for, I don't remember the exact number, but he was like 572 days. Like, oh. Do you feel any pressure going into this race? And I was like, <laughs> I didn't until just now. <laughs> like, thanks. Who's counting this? <laughs> um, oh. Yeah. So I don't feel like I, it's placed pressure on me. And I don't feel like the people around me and the people that I've built into my team place that pressure on me either. So I don't know. Not much has changed. I feel like it sounds like you've you've built a good team around you, and I think that's really important. To like, you've got to be able to surround yourself with people who believe in you, and you guys are all like working together and, and on the same path with the same goal in mind. I think that's really important. Like, do you how like what would you say? Like, who's on your team? If you would say what your team is, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I mean, my more immediate team as being an athlete, I have my coach. Um, I have triathlon coach. I have my swim coach who is also an Olympic gold medalist. So she's also like an amazing mentor. And I think having her to go to and, you know, ask questions about how things are going to be. And I think that also helps relieve a lot of pressure. So I have them. I have my strength and conditioning coach. I work with a sport dietitian really, really closely. And then we have our team manager who kind of helps more of like the strategic side of things, like what races you are best for you to go to and think and like what you need to do point wise to make sure you qualify and stay on top of everything there. But then I also have in a bigger circle, I have my teammates who, you know, we're, we push each other, which is amazing. And I've got my friends and my family who are so supportive of what I do. And at the end of the day, they don't care if I win or lose. And they, you know, make sure I keep in check when I am winning. And um, that, you know, if I, if I don't do as well as I want that, you know, I'm not beating myself up too hard. And so it's just really important to have those connections. And, you know, you can find them all over the place from, you know, friends, family, uh, good friends, parents, even, you know, in my circle. And so that's been an amazing asset having that. 
I think that's good to point it out. Like people who are going to push you and support you and help you along the way, but then love you no matter what the outcome is. I think that's a good balance. You know, it's, uh, it's awesome. People who believe in you, but yet love you whether you win or lose. Right. Exactly. For sure. Well, um, so I know you kind of mentioned like nutrition and too, and, and I know, uh, I mean, obviously proper nutrition, sleep and recovery, that's important for physical health and optimum, you know, athletic performance. But I know it's especially crucial for you with like the neurological performance. And you've even said sometimes that the neurological side is is harder than the amputation side. So will you tell us a little bit about um, kind of nutrition and and sleep and recovery and things like that for you? Yeah. um, For me personally, um, my neurological disability is absolutely more challenging than the the amputation. Um, And it, because it is literally something I manage every day. Um, and nutrition is a big role in that. Um, and because of the injury to my brain, my body is not able to digest food like most others do. Um, it can digest a little bit of food, um, but definitely not enough to support me as an athlete or even just being alive. And so I have, you know, worked with doctors all over the country to, and, amazing sport nutritionists and our sport dietitians and, um, clinical dietitians to make it so I could be able to keep training. Um, and to do so we've had to use some medical options. Um, uh, so current, what I've, what I use for nutrition for the past two years is called TPN. Um, it's total parenteral nutrition and essentially it's IV nutrition that I have to run for 14 hours a day. Um, which is quite challenging. Um, but with the amazing team, we've been able to make it work. Um, and, uh, as science is getting better, we're able to start, you know, trying some new medications and work towards getting off of that, which is something I'm actually, we're we're working on with my medical team right now is to try to go more towards, um, like a food, food based tube feeds, um, that would go into, not into my stomach, but into my, um, intestines where it is able to be absorbed, um, better than in my stomach. And so that. It is a huge challenge. Um, and it's something that without the team around me, I would never ever be able to do. A lot of people said it wasn't possible. A lot of people said it's a terrible idea. Um, but I'd have to say for, you know, the past two years, um, I've had pretty amazing success. And for the first time in my life, we've been able to support, like fully support my training, um, build muscle mass and not worry about my weight throughout the season as much. Um, in years prior, you know, coming off off season, I would have, I'd always be underweight, um, but better. And then throughout the season, I would lose pounds and pounds and pounds um, because I just wasn't able to support what I was doing. Um, and so the past two years, it's been, it's been a huge challenge and I would much rather be able to eat like a normal person and um, digest a food, all those calories and not have to do the medical side of things. Um, it's just not been possible, but it's been really cool to see like, my gains, especially like in the gym and on the bike, because I have been able to build muscle, which I couldn't do in the past. And, um, so although it's totally different than probably any other athlete you'll ever meet, I think the key point is the same. Like nutrition is so important to achieving your best. Um, not getting enough nutrition is going to put you in a deficit and it may make you a little bit faster in the short term, but the long-term consequences aren't going to be worth it. And those, you know, those can be seen in, in, a few months or, and you, you'll make short gain. You might make short gains at the beginning, but the losses are not worth it in the end. And I think that's something a lot of athletes are talking about right now. Um, and so, so yeah, I don't know. Nutrition is, um, 
a huge, uh, highly, highly uh, um, discussed in my life. We talk, uh, I talk with my dietitian every week um, to make sure we have a plan and um, going forward and how we're going to manage training and make sure I'm getting in enough calories and have the time to, to essentially eat for 14 hours a day. Um, you know, cause I can't train while I'm doing that or anything. Um, so, um, so anyways, and, and you're not just training for one sport, like you're essentially training three different sports for one race, you know, like that's how, what, like, yes. what does your time training look like? Like how, how many, I guess, what does an average day look like for you? Like how much time are you spending training? Yeah. Um, every day varies a little bit, but most of the time I swim five to six days a week for an hour and a half each day. Um, that's usually my first workout of the morning, um, get it done nice and early. And then, um, I'll take a few hours to chill, um, and get some calories in. And once I've done that, then, um, I'll do my second workout of the day, which is typically a bike or a run. And I bike, uh, four to five times a week and run four about four times a week. Um, and then later in the afternoon, I have strength training um, or injury prevention stuff. So three days a week, I do like actual lifting. Um, and then three days a week, I do um, more body weight um, movements with some bands and balls and stuff like that, really to just help prevent injury and make sure all of my joints um, are stable. And I'm working all muscle groups and not just the ones I use in the sport. Um, so it keeps me pretty busy, yeah. um, I would say. <laughs> um I train at the Olympic training center and I would say I usually get there about six 30 in the morning pre COVID. Obviously a lot has changed, but I would usually, I had, would get there about six 30 in the morning and leave about six o'clock at night. So, um, you know, and in between workouts, um, I'd also get recovery in, um, in the recovery center, um, some foam rolling and, you know, just different things to keep my body going for the next training session. Man, it's definitely like a nonstop cycle for you. Uh, like fully, like all in, right? You're just all in. And I love that. I love that. Um, well, earlier you were kind of saying that like, you know, our, all of our identity kind of is different, right? How we see ourselves. And, and you said yours isn't so much on, on how you look, but how you feel and who, who you feel like you are, which I love. But you were featured in the ESPN, the magazine's body issue, which is always so cool when people do that. But I, I just can't even imagine posing for something like that. Like, <laughs> I love looking at it, but I can't imagine just dropping trow and like doing my sport. I, I just I don't know. What was that experience like? Oh. The pictures looked incredible. Like, what was that experience like for you? Thank you. Thank you. So it all started out crazy. I was in sitting in an airport when I get a call from somebody from ESPN and they're like, hi, this is so-and-so. I'm from ESPN. Like we were interested in talking to you about being in the body issue. And I thought this, I thought my friends were like playing a joke on me, like quite literally, like (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know ESPN knew who I was (laughs) call me for one of their like biggest magazine features. And so I was like, wait, who from what? (laughs) But it actually, I was actually shocked how quickly I agreed. And they were like, and like, what did I just bite myself into? <laughs> right, exactly. I was like, because I mean, the magazine is so cool. And like the opportunity to be published with some of some of the most amazing athletes in the world is incredible. And so I actually was like, yes, yes, very quickly. After the fact, I was like, oh, this might be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it actually, I was very nervous the day before in the morning of and you know, I met the entire photography team and the editor and everybody who was there and, um, the day before, and we had lunch or dinner or whatever. And, and then on the shoot, like, you know, like the first photo was probably the most intimidating, but honestly, like 
once I like started, like nobody cared, not a single person cared that I was unclothed Mm -hmm. (laughs) because everybody was so focused on their job and making sure that they were getting the best material they could. Like, and so it really became like no big deal whatsoever at all. Oh, wow. That's cool. You know, and in between photos, obviously I had like a robe and stuff to put on, but I think the funniest story, um, the picture of me on my bike and with my arms out, it's one of my favorites, but it was on like a public two lane highway. Right. So they have two people like way off on each end. And then me and the photography team closer in, and they have like walkie talkies essentially to say like when a car, if a car was coming and (laughs) if a car was coming, I had to like rush to the side and like cover up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) There was no indecent exposure charges. that day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But the pictures, they're some of my favorite pictures. Um, I think the photographer, he did a phenomenal job of really capturing who I, who I am as an athlete, but as a person as well. And just kind of the area that we were in was very, um, so much me. And like, I I felt like it really described a lot of my life. So it was really cool. That is cool. I just had to ask. I was like, I got, I got to know about this. That's, that's so awesome. Well, I know. Okay. So you were gunning for the Paralympics this year in Tokyo. You've been doing so well. What has the postponement been like for you? How has that affected you? There's always, good and bad and everything. Um, I've had a really rough year this year. So the first part of the year, uh, you got, everybody got till March 13th before, you know, their worlds came crashing down. Mine came crashing down on like January 2nd. Oh, really? (laughs) I ended up with a pretty bad bad infection in my leg, um, in my left leg and wasn't able to wear my prosthetic for a while. We tried antibiotics and ended up having, having to have surgery to clean out, um, an abscess. So I, you know, I was out of the pool. I wasn't walking. I wasn't I couldn't do any, I couldn't train any of my sports at the time. I couldn't walk, couldn't ride all. I couldn't swim because I had stitches. All I could do was be like one-legged on a row machine and do like strength work one leg. So that healed up. Then I was like, yes, let's do this. And like two days after I got my stitches up, I woke up and my leg is super swollen again. And I had another infection and had to have it cleaned out. So I actually got the stitches out the day before what would have been our trials for the games. I hadn't worn a leg yet. I hadn't put a run leg on or a bike leg on in two months. And then of course they got canceled because of COVID. So I went home and I was like, Whew, okay. So relief, right? <laughs> got some, I've got some time to like put myself together. Uh, obviously none of us expected COVID to go on this long. And once I got home, as things, you know, became more clear and it was announced that the games were going to be postponed. There's a lot of feelings. Like there's just no one thing to describe it. Right. At the time it was devastating there was kind of that question, are they going to be canceled? Are they going to be postponed? When are they going to be? Are we aiming for the fall? Are we still going, you know, are we still aiming for 2020? Are they going to be in the spring? So I think the biggest feeling, honestly, was just uncertainty. And that was with all aspects of our life. You know, our gym was entirely shut down. We weren't able, you know, we weren't able to meet up to train like we normally were. You know, I was quarantining in my house by myself with my dogs and turned my garage, you know, into the best workout space I could. And so I think, everything was so uncertain at that time. And it just added this extra layer of uncertainty. And even though we all knew that that was the best thing for everybody, for the entire world, it was devastating. Uh, we, you know, this is something you worked four years for and all of a sudden you're like, it's gone and you don't even know when it's going to be. And so that was kind of like the initial reaction. And then, uh, you know, as time went on, it's just like, okay, well, we'll do what I can. And we're going to try to 
get better, get faster. We have another year and we'll see how it goes. And as the year's gone on, I've had a few more infections. So all in all, I think it might've worked out okay for me. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully next year is going to be way better, but I don't know. It is what it is. And you just, just have to make the best of what we have. So And that just seems like that's always your attitude. You're always looking for the bright side of things. Like there's just always a silver lining for you, isn't there? That's funny you say that because I think I I consider myself much more of a realist. Um, But I do feel like, you know, there's no point in sulking in something or being angry about something or for too long. Or, you know, it's like you have those feelings and you need to have those feelings, but don't get stuck in them. There's always there's always something positive. And we can't change the cards we're dealt. And so we just have to make the best of what we have. And that's just, you know, another card that all of us athletes were dealt. And I think those who are able to cope with the changes and stay on track and stay motivated are the ones that are going to find the most success next summer. Mm, Super well said. Well, as we're recording this, it's like Thanksgiving weekend and you've actually just gotten out of the hospital again. You've had a, a rough stint this fall. Like, how are you feeling today? I am feeling way better than I was a few weeks ago. I'm not nearly at 100%. I would say, honestly, I'm probably about 50%. And I've got quite a few weeks left um, to treat everything that happened over these past two months. And But I am able to get back moving and back training. And, and that's, that's good. You know, it's great. It feels good to be moving. I've always really firmly believed that exercise is medicine and it does help us heal and it does, you know, keep us healthy and all of that. And so I'm really just using this time to kind of, to rebuild back to what I had before this all started. And it's not going to be easy. And there's definitely times it feels so unfair, you know, when I see my competitors and my teammates that aren't having, you know, these (laughs) two month periods of being in the hospital and having to deal with all of these other, all of these other complications, but I can't change it. It happened. And, you know, I have a great team behind me and beside me, and we're just kind of changing up the training to fit where I'm at now and where I'm at every day. And really like the plan itself, the big plan of defending that gold medal hasn't changed at all. And although these few months have been hard, I don't think it counts me out. If anything, it lights more of a fire under me to prove that I can overcome this and everything else thrown my way to be the athlete and the competitor I want to be. Ugh, I love this. I, you like embody that Muhammad Ali quote where he's like, impossible is a dare. Like that's that's you in my mind. And I love I've, I've actually never heard that quote, but it really? is so true. Oh yeah, I have no idea how I've never heard this, but that is like so true because if somebody like tells me something not possible, like, you better watch out. Like I will prove you wrong. Oh yeah. It's, there's a longer, there's a whole longer part. I'm going to send it to you after we're done with this. Yes. It's okay. totally like you in a nutshell. I love it. Well, where Alyssa, can we find you online and to cheer you on and continue to be inspired by you over this next year toward Tokyo? The two best places are online are going to be Instagram at try Alyssa. That's um, T R I. And then my weird spelling, A-L-L-Y-S-A, um, or you could just search my full name and then also on Facebook at Alyssa Seeley. Awesome. We'll make sure to link that in the show notes so people can click right on it and find you. But Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us, for inspiring us, and really for just being so open and honest with us so that we can learn from you. And like I said, continue to be encouraged by you because for you, impossible is just a dare. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I love uh, being able to tell my story and hope it it encourages other people to chase their dreams, whatever they are, however big they are. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. 
This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.